Welcome to Charger Valley Podcast. I am your host, Chuck. This week, I sit down with Elliot Norton and talk about the writing process. He has some great advice on how to simplify your writing procedure and come up with an interesting story every single time. Every single time, right, Elliot? Yes, Tony Robbins here. Guaranteed, Guaranteed to be successful. Yeah. Just send me nineteen ninety five a month, and I will get it going for you. It's a three-step process, and we're going to give you two of them today. <laughs> but once you become a member of our, of our site, you can get the last one. Thanks for joining, Elliot. Uh, just a while ago, you were giving some advice in a classroom setting that I was sitting down and listening to you talk about the structure that you use for your writing process, which yeah. is I've watched the videos on YouTube of Dan Harmon explaining his process, which is an eight-step process that I think a lot of people are familiar with if you're in that knowledgeable in writing and interested in how he simplified things. But yours is even easier than that, and I think uh, a lot simpler to follow um, to make yeah. sure that you're to make sure that you have something that's worth putting down on paper. Yeah, I think that, well, I mean, I guess I'm going to stop you a little bit because I don't really, it's not really my structure. It's a 3X structure that is kind of espoused on many different screenwriting books. I think most famously by Sid Fields in the late 70s or early 80s wrote a how-to on screenwriting. So he's really big in the 3X structure. But you can also see the 3X structure throughout all of literature. Um, I guess famously um, there was five acts in Shakespeare plays, but the five acts can be easily delineated into three acts if you want to. And it's basically just kind of a distilled version of what you learn in school, which is exposition, rising action, climax, climax, falling action, and then resolution, right? So like the whole idea though is just, you know, I think when you're dealing, because we were dealing with some filmmaking students that were literally 10, 11 years old, and I think one was 14, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we were dealing with them, and I just figured, like, let's just make this as simple as possible, you know? Especially if they're going to be trying to film their scripts, you want to make, sh- make sure that they just have two characters, maybe three, a very simple conflict, and a very simple um, sequence of events that leads to a resolution. Um, so, Can you elaborate on that? So let's go back to your starting, you think you have an idea for a script. Yeah, so you start, and then you should probably start. Well, that, that's the thing, though, too, because I want to. I want Let's just start with just the structure itself, like kind of like what you see on a graph, right? Or yeah, yeah. You know, let, let's just start there, because I because I don't think I think the misnomer is is that you, you that you start with the structure, and I don't I, and I've never really written that way, and most people that I talk to don't write that way, an exception for maybe Colin Inslee. If you're listening to this, Colin, Colin I just threw threw out your name, but I think Colin Inslee says that he kind of writes off of off of bullet points and, and, off outlines. Of like, and off of outlines, but I've never written that way. Most people that I know ha- ha- don't really. Um, so anyway, but let's just talk about the structure itself. So you start with at the beginning, um, you have act one, right? So act one is just only about setting the stage. If you read Sid Fields, he says that that should be about 30 pages if you're looking at a 120 page script, right? So act one would just basically give all of the important information that the audience needs to know right up front. Who are the people? Where are they? What are their general like wants and desires, right? So you take 30 pages to do that. Then right on the 28th page, 29th page or whatever, you have some sort of inciting instance, incident excuse me, where the main conflict of the story is introduced, right? 
So then you hit the main conflict and you know that the entire movie up until that point from page 30 to 120 is going to be about that conflict between like the main character and whatever adversarial force or whatever they need to do. Frodo discovers that the ring of power is needs to be destroyed. It's from Sauron and he has to go on the journey towards Mountain Doom, right? Inciting incident, right? Yeah. Luke Skywalker discovers the the message from Leah on the R2-D2 thing and then he's like, oh man, I got to go to... Coruscant, and I have to bring these gang of characters and find Han Solo. You know what I'm saying? That's when the story gets interesting. Not not necessarily interesting, but I'm just oh. like, that's where it like kicks into gear. For Obviously, me, that for me, it's when it gets interesting. I'm sure that you were interested in Star Wars before that point as well. That's true, I guess. Yeah, and I'm sure you were interested in Lord of the Rings before they found out that the ring was Sauron's or whatever. Yeah, because you were still like interested in the ring. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's the main inciting point, and then so basically, you have a very long second act that usually is the bulk of the script, and that's kind of what Sid Fields calls the confrontation part of the script. So that part would have most of your main events of the movie, and then basically the the back and forth. I'm going to use Star Wars because it's on the top of my head. So that basically that entire thing of them going through like the Death Star, all that crap, that would be kind of the second act, right? Mm-hmm. And then you'd have the end of the second act as some sort of like lowest point, some awful thing happens. When I think Star Wars, I think Ben Kenobi gets killed, you know? And then yeah. the last, then you're into kind of like the the finale or the conclusion or the resolution. And then there you have the climax, right? And the okay. climax would be the the moment of most tension, thinking of Star Wars when you're thinking of like, oh man, I don't think the Death Star is going to be destroyed, right? And then they end up like destroying the Death Star. And then after that is just kind of, you know, tying up loose ends and then the end of the movie. So it's a very simple, you know, act one, act two, act three, and then resolution. It's uh, it's a simple way to like organize your thoughts. I think sometimes when it comes to stories, especially if you're doing, especially when you're doing short stories, yeah. I find that as well or short films. And then you only have access as a filmmaker to like two characters. You have to then start thinking of well, what is the conflict? And then when you start thinking about that, you think of okay, what's the goal of a character and what's their obstacle? You know. And that's actually funner to do more fun to work with actors too, where it's just like, okay, well, this character wants this thing, this other character wants this thing, and then they're obstacles to each other. And then so then that that's how you can make two person scenes interesting, I think. That was a really good advice I thought that you gave during that talk was to make sure that there is conflict. Mm-hmm. That the character is trying to get something, there's some need that's not being met or some desire that the character has. And then your advice was to put something in the way of that. Yeah. And it can be really simple. I can't quite remember what were some of the examples were that you that well, you Well, yeah. You're thir- I mean, like, especially because we were talking about writing, like, a four-page script, right? Yeah. Or, you know, three to five, right? So it could be as simple as, I'm thirsty and I need a glass of water. But, but something's in my way. Well, yeah. Well, no, yeah. And then so you wake up in the middle of the night, you're you know, really drunk. We were working with the kids, so this wouldn't be an example. But just, you know, thinking off the top of my head, you you drink all night, you're really thirsty for some water, you go in, and then you go to the tap, and all of a sudden, up oh, the tap isn't working. And yeah. you're like, oh, is it just the kitchen tap? And then you go to the bathroom, you're like, oh, no, the water's off in the entire place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, then you have to do something else to get, fulfill your need. And then the, there is the contrast, the conflict, and there is the interest, and that is what makes the entire process, or excuse me, the entire story worth yeah, exactly. Watching, or like just then, it. you're just like, well, what? How is he going to get the water? Is he going to go down to the gas station? Is he going to go to the grocery store? What happens if he goes to the gas station? The gas station's closed, and then he goes to the grocery store that's a 24 hour place, and then they're like out of water because of the pandemic. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It goes, you know, goes to the canal, and it just looks really gross. 
and he like thinks about drinking it. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm just talking off the top of my head. But you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's a good way to like structure your idea. And then you can also, when you do that, that's also, um, I can't remember the name of the writer at University of Minnesota. I remember he was giving a really negative review of a very popular play. And I can't remember the name of the play. So all of this is so many question marks and so ambiguous that nobody's going to latch onto this at all. But I'm going to say it anyway. So it was Good. a professor talking about a play that was popular. But I do remember the setup to the play, which was that um, there was this guy that was going to like shoot a woman. So the play takes place in one living room mm-hmm. and this guy like bursts in and he's like going gonna, gonna, to like shoot this woman. And then so it's just a twofer and the guy has a gun and then she's like being held hostage, right? Yeah. And then so then throughout the course of the play, she keeps him interested by like showing belongings of her life and telling these stories. Like, you know, she reaches over the mantelpiece and like, this is the blah, blah, blah from my past. And then like the guy's like not shooting her, right? Mm. But then eventually because like it's a smaller area and she lives in like kind of a crappy neighborhood, she runs out of stuff to show him and to distract him. So then all of a sudden she's like looking around and then she's like realizes that there's no other story to pull from. There's no other artifact that she can pull from, right? Yeah. And so this at this point you're thinking, what? What is she going to do? Right, so it was a cop out because the cops came in right there, and that's how the play ends. Ah, and that's the end of okay. I like that. Well, no, it's bad. So, like, he was he was talking about how crappy it was. Well, it's just like it's just like adaptation, the movie adaptation. What is that? What is that term? The term for that? Deus uh, ex machina. Deus ex machina. yeah. Yeah. So, and they did that as like a meta joke in adaptation was they had that but they had referenced it earlier which made it more interesting yeah 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 for sure yeah and then like so so those types of so i think when you when you structure your ideas in that regard you can kind of tell when you should actually be working because i'll never forget he said that specifically he said the reason i didn't like that play is that i could tell the exact moment when the writer should have been really working hard and thinking of something really cool that I haven't thought of, because everybody thought of, well, the cops can come in and save you, right? Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of copped out and just said, ah, whatever, we can just have the cops come in. It's 90 pages long, fuck it, you know? Yeah. Oh, sorry, are we swearing on this? Sure, why not? I labeled it explicit quite a while ago, so it's all good. All right, cool. Just in case. So, um, so yeah, I think that it, that it helps in terms of kind of giving your thoughts some sort of externalized, like, pictorial structure to them. But then again, at the same time, I don't I don't really write with structure in mind ever. So I think it's Has it mainly knee jerk for you to just make sure that you have these these things in place. You're not going to write about any in, th- anything unless you have some sort of conflict, an idea that's based on that. Then no, 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 no. I think it's I think it's more of a revision technique, at least for me, speaking for myself, because I think when you think of stories, you typically are thinking of scenes in isolation. Like, wouldn't mm-hmm. it be cool if this happened in a movie? Or yeah. wouldn't this be cool if this happened in the story? And then when you start thinking about it, well, how would I get there? And then you kind of start pushing, kind of like moving scenes around almost like a checkboard or a chessboard, excuse me. Okay. And then you and then you kind of line it up with the structure. But then again, that's also not quite accurate either. That's that's usually like draft three. And then afterwards, you'll you'll when you're reading your draft, you'll realize it'll come off very mechanical or it'll come off unearned and then that's when you kind of have to throw out the whole thing and then just go back to the characters again and just go back to very basic like what does the character want and what's an obstacle in front of them you know what i'm saying yeah because then sometimes when you're thinking of oh i'm thinking of this cool scene that should be in a movie then you're just kind of writing towards like a goal in mind and then it's just not going to work out because whatever you have probably isn't going to justify whatever cool scene you you think you have 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, I thought that yeah. was interesting. Like the You pointed that out to me a long time ago about how a good movie is about the character. Like it has to have all sorts of other interesting things happen. But if the character is interesting and the audience is engaged in that character, you're going to be cued in. And I think well, you, it's supposed to be you remember because you don't remember plot ever. No, like you can't. I, I'm sure that any movie that you watched a year and a half ago, even one that you thought had a really cool plot, you wouldn't be able to pass a quiz on it. Yeah, it would be it would be tough. But I, you would be able to. You might not remember a character name, but you could probably remember like some sort of archetype that they embody, you know, or a general vibe, and you'll remember kind of the base conflict if you liked it a lot, like from two years ago. You'll say, well, I remember this movie. I can't really remember the character names, but I do remember this one guy wanted this one thing and this other dude was standing in his way for some reason. Terminator 2. Exactly. Don't even remember what happened. All I know is that one robot wanted to save the kid. The other one wanted to kill him. And then you'll remember, like, you know, general other things, too. Yeah. You know, like, oh, it had a really cool... Yeah. It had a really cool cool, uh, chase scene through the canals of L.A. Yes. That was awesome too, um, and the way that Arnold Schwarzenegger would 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 cock his like his uh, shotgun his, or his sawed off shotgun. Yeah, was it a shotgun? No, it wasn't a shotgun. It was uh, it was a I don't know what kind of gun it was. Oh, I thought it was a shotgun. I know we're not representing Idaho very well right now. Sorry, NRA. Yeah. Speaking of which, they're sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the NRA, Treasure Valley Podcast brought to you by the NRA. Just kidding, it's not brought to you by the NRA. Yeah. Um. You brought up an interesting anecdote as well about Star Wars. We can stay right on that theme of dissecting that because you had pointed out that uh, George Lucas received some advice on the original trilogy to include a character like Han Solo, which in your theory, that character wasn't present in the pre-trilogy or pre trilogy uh no i which think made I, it less interesting i don't or? think it was I, I, I don't think it was advice that george lucas received i'm trying to remember where exactly i read that i think i i think i read that um in a piece of criticism that was written contemporary con- contemporaneously oof i've never said that out loud before there we go contemporaneously to the prequel trilogy i think it was on roger ebert it was probably roger ebert wrote that okay in terms of just having a through line of star wars and then having it be more simplistic to um, to like an everyday audience and having an everyman like a Han Solo and a Luke Skywalker. Because Luke Skywalker yeah. is just kind of a bratty kid that wants to leave his high school basically at the yeah. beginning. And then so you kind of latch in emotionally onto those two characters. You don't really latch on emotionally to Obi-Wan. Jar, Jar Binks, I think. <laughs> He's your annoying <laughs> – preschool friend that you just want to beat up yes <laughs> but um but no i think that yeah that was important i think in the high regard that that trilogy hold held at the time and i think that that was from roger ebert but then also if you look at the history of the first movie it's kind of a similar idea because they had to simplify a lot of the plot in the very first act because of the original rough cut of the movie i think there was a screening that had brian de palma and steven spielberg mm-hmm. and a couple others and then like, the screening was a disaster and brian de palma actually had to rewrite the f- opening scrawl of the paragraphs to make it more simple oh okay because i guess the first one was was like like 20 paragraphs long it was it was literally just like paragraph after paragraph of just like information and it's just like what do, what do you what do you want me to come away with and then in the end it's just like okay there's a empire and then there's a rebellion 
and then there's these message, and it's on these two droids, and that's all you really need to know. Oh, uh, right on. Yeah. <coughs> and Excuse George me. Lucas didn't have anybody holding them in check then on the on the next, prequel. Everybody the was just three. like, "Ah, oh, you're a genius, dude." And then nobody remembers that he didn't even write The Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah, he didn't, and he didn't direct it, and that was the best one. Yeah, it's the best one, kind of. And he ruined actually The Empire Strikes Back. How did he ruin it? What it was his? Because he was a producer, and the original script actually had Han Solo die at Cloud City. So oh, yeah. So I guess the actual, so it would, if they would have followed that, Han Solo's last line would have been, I know, which would have been baller. Like mm-hmm. a chick just being like, I love you, I know, and then he just dies. Yeah. That would have been sweet, which was also unscripted. That was just Harrison Ford making the script better. But anyway, like, I'm just saying, the whole idea of like making the last act of the movie like more tense if you kill off a main character, then all of a sudden you as an audience member are like, oh man, are they going to kill off Leia? Are they going to kill off Chewbacca? They yeah. just killed off Han Solo. This is wild, but they froze him instead. So they froze him instead because he had just signed a deal to make Han Solo toys. How much is George Luth- Lucas worth? Oh, he's billions. Dang. I mean, Disney paid him directly uh, over a billion dollars for the rights to Star Wars, right? Cause uh, probably. Because he, he owns Lucasfilm, so he got all of that money. Dang. So, yeah, I know. He knew how to merchandise. He did. So he was probably the correct, you know, it was the correct decision probably. Because you're not going to sell a lot of Han Solo toys if all the kids know that he got killed. That's true. You can't pretend to. Well, they might have. But you wouldn't have been able to sell them for the next movie then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dang. That's nuts. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So How do we get on Star Wars? I don't know. Um, I think it's just because we've just been dissecting the ways that you can make a story. And then it was the juxtaposition of an everyman character in the first trilogy and everyman characters, every person characters in the first trilogy and then the lack of that yeah. in the subsequent trilogy, which is the pre-trilogy. And then even the next trilogy, the characters were not very identifiable, I would argue. It's more well, no, it's they, that fantastical universe that it well, just I think exists. those ones weren't, weren't even... That was like written by committee in terms of we need to have this, this, and this. Like that was that was that was filmmaking at its most cynical, because everybody <laughs> knew that whatever whatever the fuck they were going to put up on the screen, a certain percentage of the world population People was going to watch it. Yeah, they're, they're going like, to okay. Go. We need to make sure. Let's have a Luke Skywalker gamble. We'll make her a woman. Okay, cool. I'm so excited for the Matrix Four. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, at least that's not. Well, I mean, it might be cynically made, but at least it's made by you know some batshit crazy artists. Which is something that you could probably say about the prequel trilogy as well, because like at least the prequel prequel trilogy was trying to do something completely different than the first one, whereas like the 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 Disney Star Wars trilogy was just like a corporate bastardization of the first one to the point where they even brought back like the Emperor. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it was it was. I forget about how bad they were. I remember I fell asleep in the theater <laughs> during one of them. You know that was an expensive nap. Yeah. But it was a good one. I remember the second one, which some people, filmmakers, like because it was written and directed by Ryan Johnson, mm. who I like Ryan Johnson, but he obviously... I don't think that that was really even his movie, though, to be honest. I think that once you get into those positions, there's so many people telling you what you have to do that you're not even really making... You know, it's not even really your own thing at a certain yeah. point. So anyway, so some people like it just because it's Ryan Johnson, but I think that they're kind of deluded. The movie's garbage. The Last <laughs> Jedi. Anyway, during The Last Jedi, I remember I got kind of drunk in the middle of it and I took a nap too. But Yeah, yeah, that was not the greatest. But 
Whatever. I mean, intellectual property. You're right. It has a certain audience behind it. Yeah, exactly. People aren't going to remember that those movies, I don't think. I would predict that they wouldn't remember them in another 20 years from now. Like, the well, first no, they're going to be remembered. Still. Well, no, they're going to be remembered because all of the kids. Because remember, they're also kids' movies. I still That's have true. fond m- memories of the Phantom Menace because I hit the Phantom Menace right at sixth grade, so I was still young enough to not realize how bad it was. But even at sixth grade, I was still kind of like, "This is a pretty bad movie. This is pretty bad." But I'm, but you know, there's no, there's enough cool action, and it has the double guide, you know, red guy lightsaber, the Darth Maul battle, you know. And yeah. then when the next one came out, I was three years older. Like, all of a sudden, I was driving a car in high school, you know? And it wasn't quite as entertaining. <laughs> it just wasn't it wasn't as cool. I was just not enamored by Yoda anymore. Oh, or, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, that was the one where he jumps around like a frog and has that yeah. awful dialogue about sand or whatever in, in the love story. That one's good to watch and laugh at, actually. Those that one's a good Yodas. drinking. Yeah, that's a good drinking game, just with all the bad acting and the bad dialogue. I love skin. I love your skin because it's not coarse like sand. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, a good simile <laughs> I am haunted by the kiss you should never have given me <laughs> what's what's soft that we can compare her skin to I know let's just use an anti-simile is that a thing is that yeah. <laughs> figurative language anti-simile it's even more artistic exactly well he's uh, juxtaposing he's using some literary stuff wait a minute sorry one last thing on Star Wars okay. why writing is so important I did watch a behind the scenes on YouTube which was I don't know why I was doing it. I was hungover or something. But I was watching, or no, I wasn't even hungover. I was just bored. Um, I was watching this behind the scenes of the of of the episode three, and you saw all these departments. It's a really it's a really incredible thing where you watch all of like this massive building, all working on the Star Wars movie, and these like intense artists that are so incredible. You know these amazing painters and these amazing sketch artists and these amazing computer designers yeah. are just making these really cool like designs and all of a sudden you have like bumbling George Lucas walk in and then he's like facing this massive board full of like tacked together like concept art and he goes on and he has like a stamp just as like his own like little like stamp of approval that he like then just like goes this one this one and he just like puts the ones that they're going to be in the movie and I remember there was this one image of him going through the entire line Right, and then he gets to the end of it, and he's like, "Wow, I'm really nervous. I'm gonna have to really start working on the script now." We <laughs> <laughs> were thinking, like, you you've made these dudes just work for months on all this crap, and you don't even have like a story put together yet. I might have to cut some of these creatures I just approved. Yeah, maybe, or I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe when he's writing the script, he's like feeling bad. It's like I don't know. I made I, this guy. I suppose after work. you after you have that much money, that might be part of the brainstorming process. Like, oh, how do you write a movie? Well, first of all, I invest millions and millions of dollars to get a bunch of people together to do all sorts of artwork, and then I see what inspires me. Yeah. Ooh, I like this red fish guy. <laughs> Let's write a movie about him or put him in the movie or something. Yeah, maybe he's the leader of the something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Everybody's going to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah, write it down then, while we hit record on the camera. We'll get yeah. it all figured out. Yeah, but then the next scene is him emerging from his office and everybody's clapping. And he's just like, I did it. Draft one. And then he just gives it to this woman. He's like, I did some cheating in there. I just kind of wrote like they fight or whatever. We'll figure it out. There's a script. We got something to do now. CGI. Yeah. So I wonder how many people were just waiting for his script to show up. You know? All these departments just sitting there. Do I have a job when we we start production? Just on empty green screen stages with like weird animatronic stuff. 
just like sitting around like, I don't even know what we're filming. What are we even doing? Oh, man. That would be an interesting it seems job. That, it seems that it has, a, it has the process backwards, though. You know, I think you you start with the script, you make the script really good, and then you then try to get the script. I together. would. I mean, that's a better way to make a good movie. I mean, I would imagine. I'm sure, you could do it the other way and come up with something good, but that might be leaving it to chance pretty heavily. I mean, yeah. I I mean, I've heard when you read about movies, obviously, there's many famous examples that worked out brilliantly, but with the rewrites and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, even. I mean, to juxtapose or like contrast it with another trilogy that came at the same time, like the Lord of the Rings. I don't yeah. particularly. I don't think they've aged well, at least in my mind. But no, the tone is off. I watched them again over pandemic. Yeah, but many people will say that they're more successful than the prequels. I'll give them that. So yeah, more successful than the prequels. But they, yeah, they were winging it more or less the entire time as well. It was like not for a reason that was. It was outside of their control because I guess they were they were instructed to make it two movies, and then they said, "Oh no, you have to make it three, like a year and a half into the process." So I mean. That'd, that'd be tricky. That would be tricky to then be like, okay, I guess we're gonna make this. We're gonna pull another three-hour movie out of this. But um, oof. Yeah. So I mean, but still, it's like that's why I think European cinema tends to be more thoughtful because a lot of the European cinema, especially if you look at pre um, um, pre fall of the Soviet Union, um, like somebody like Kislovsky, yeah, um, or even you know on the other side of the Iron Curtain, um, uh. Uh, Igmar Bergman. Yeah. They actually, because they're more or less supported by these grants and these artist organizations or even by the government itself, and a mm-hmm. lot of times are through government grants, they've kind of developed a process in which they get their grant and their process, or excuse me, they get their money at each step of the process. Oh, okay. So, like, I got a grant to write this script. So, I'm going to make sure the script is really good and really interesting. And then I got a grant to make the movie. And maybe I got a grant for the next part of it, for the editing. And I know under the USSR, it was even more, like, strict. It was like, you can only bill up to this point. And then you Hmm. can only do these things. And then your script's done. I mean, obviously, I'm not condoning the USSR. And I don't think the government should really be making movies at all. So, I'm not talking about that. But I'm just saying that I think it's it's kind of a happy accident that they happen to instill like a process that I think is better as opposed to, I think the Hollywood system is more, they have a due date in mind. Like we need to make a movie by this date and it yeah. needs, and, it need, and they have like a due date and a budget. It's just like, it needs to cost $250 million and it needs to be released on July 15th and it needs to have Spider-Man in it. Yeah. It's that intellectual. <laughs> I think that intellectual property yeah. is where a lot of things get thrown for a loop. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. It's I'm like, Hey, we bought, Wolver- yeah, we bought Wolverine. Let's do a movie about Wolverine. It's like, does anybody have any cool stories about? Well, I mean, he's got a bunch of comics. Just grab some comic books, throw some crap together. It'll be fine. Let's get an art department together. Yeah, <laughs> they'll start the brainstorming. We'll have look you ever around. seen like Wolverine like jump from a helicopter? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great movie idea. <laughs> jump from a helicopter and then you know like land on the White House. He's like in the White House, like with his claws. That's a good idea. Yeah. Did that one get done? No. Oh no, I think I was. Subconsciously ripping off. I think Nightcrawler's been in the White House and oh, at some juncture. It's some X Man. Yeah, whatever. Or woman. But we've never seen Wolverine. Or person. Do- yeah, exactly. Never seen Wolverine do it though. No, that's that's good. Yeah. We should probably get that one. So that's like lit. opposite of writing, I guess. I think. That's like having one idea and yes. then not thinking through it. I th- that's the idea thing is where I get hung up sometimes myself. How how and to get excited about a concept 
but then have to go back and try to turn it into a story, sometimes that concept isn't as interesting as you initially thought. Yeah, and I think that that's I think I think the the good thing about revising is that you're constantly bringing your ideas to task. And that's why you should always be revising all of your ideas all the time. Because then while you're revising, you come up with new, better ideas. Not not, not even necessarily better, but the more you do it, mm-hmm. I think I think Ernest Hemingway once said that 90% of whatever he writes is total garbage. So, But he doesn't know that it's total garbage until after a decent interval has passed. Yeah. So you need to like have that revision time in order to be able to throw away like bad ideas, and I think that's the uh, that's that is the polluting aspect of cinema because cinema is more of a collaborative art form. It's even more collaborative, I'd say, than than plays or the theater because mm-hmm. the theater is very very respectful to the written word. I mean, there's yeah. stories in off Broadway or even on Broadway where you know the playwright sits in the back and then yells at actors for missing like an and or a but, you know, mm. and they're very very respectful to the text because they like because it's an actor-driven medium, their job as actors is to bring life to text no matter what it is, even if it's bad text. Okay. Like, that's their job. So they 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 are very focused on like, I, these are the words I'm saying and these are the actions I can commit. And then what are, what are my, para- those are my parameters and how can I make it more interesting? So it's, in, it's more collaborative in filmmaking because I feel like there's a genuine, there's a genuine idea that the script is malleable all the time. Yeah. Up until you actually shoot the scene. You can anything can change at any moment, so that's one of the that can be a problem though because then you can if you're not a strong director or if you're in a situation that there's a lot of voices in the room you have to be very selective and understand which ideas are good and which ideas are bad and which ideas you can throw away or if you can't throw them away because you have some sort of external pressure how do you like incorporate them correctly I don't know it's just a mm-hmm. it's just a weird thing that's one of the problems with movie making in general or that's a potential pitfall. Obviously, yeah. Too many, too many cooks. Too many cooks. Because then you have the people that aren't idea people, which I do think that that's a thing. You know, just people that only have an idea once every like eight weeks or something. Yeah. You know, like oh, that was my creative idea, and then they get really latched onto it. You mm-hmm. know, whereas and creative, don't want to give it, don't want to give it up. Exactly. And creative people have hundreds of ideas every week so they're more willing to let go of stuff and they're more also willing to separate their creative life from their from their personal life so then if you reject your creative idea then it's just oh that was one of the hundred that i came up with this week yeah about this one as opposed to the person that's not really a creative person that comes up with one idea every two months then it's like you are rejecting two months of their life as they've been obsessing over the wolverine jumping out of the helicopter it's like sorry it needs the wolverine jumping out of the helicopter or it needs to have the cast dance and sing at the end in the credits or else this movie is garbage you know yeah it has it has to happen a certain way that's true the 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 way that you're able to throw stuff away i appreciate too not that you're throwing things out because i've been able to see with the projects that we've done you take ideas and then that you previously cut either in post on a scene that we filmed or something that you cut out of the script it's not like you get rid of those yeah. You you just see the that it doesn't quite fit here, but you then you have an idea bank and scenes that are already written down mm-hmm. that you can then pull from yeah. and then put them into other situations where they make more sense. Yeah. Because if you're writing a scene that has that in at a micro level that that sense of conflict or that sense of need in in almost a three act structure in a compressed format, you can use that anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, the uh, I guess the example we'd have is the or the most recent example is the chit chat that we're going to film this month. Yeah. I mean, that was an, uh, that was a discarded scene from Stockton to Table Rock, the last feature film that we wrote. So that was, you know, it's just, I guess you guys will see it later this month. But yeah, um, to be know, released the end of September. Yeah, last day of September, it'll be there. Um, but yeah, it was the it was just basically a two person scene. I thought it had a funny monologue in it, and for some reason, it was my favorite scene of the script up until I think draft eight or draft nine. And then I, when I cut it, I really felt bad about it because I was like, this is a perfect distillation of these two characters. And it really sucks that it has to go. But I always remember the monologue. And I remember the monologue could be kind of transmuted or transferred to other areas or to other two other characters. And I guess that's what we're shooting on Wednesdays, which I'm excited about. But yeah, like, no, I don't throw away things, I guess. I guess I just discard them for this particular project. And it's important to have a plethora of ideas handy to make sure that you can choose from the best ones. Mm-hmm. When I'm writing music, same thing happens. I want to make sure that I have a whole bunch of backlog of of stuff to draw on. Yeah. And it's good if you're if you're creative, you do want to make sure that you're doing that. So Yeah, and part of it too is that we I think especially you, you tend to need to make the music fast. Yeah. You know, especially when we're making a short film a month. I think you you made the chit chat the second chit chat. Or no, both of them. It was just in a day, right? Oh yeah, the all scoring, the music scoring. Yeah, I guess no, on all three of them, it was just kind yeah. of like, yeah, th- this is my day today, so I got to do it fast. So yeah, if you're constantly creating stuff, though, you can be like, mm-hmm. oh, I well, I made this beat on Tuesday. I didn't know that it was going to work in here, but it might work in here. Yeah, you know? it's that's and you do the same with your writing. How much do you write? Um, I do 500 words a day. Um, I'm trying to up it to. I need to get it up to a thousand though, because I'm in a big project that I need to end for my own sanity. So, but. <laughs> So and gonna, for everyone else who knows you, yeah, exactly. So I needed to get it done, but um, yeah, I do 500 words a day, um, and then I tend to write um, without without any real goals or aspirations. I tend to just follow characters. Th- this isn't really this isn't really advice for writing a short film. For a short film, I'll block it out and I'll write an outline, and then I'll even think like, okay, where's the first act? Where's the second act? Where's the third act? Yeah, we did that on the I forty eight. You were there for that. Yeah, but on a longer piece, I think um, the structure for me, and even sometimes the theme comes later, where I just kind of come up with a, an environmental or a, a setting or just a character or a couple of characters, and then if I if I reach a point where I don't know anything about them, I'll just write out something even if I don't think that it'll ever be filmed or if nobody else will even read it. So the longer, at least for the last two projects, the Stockton Table Rock and the one I'm working on right now, it's been a longer gestation period because there's been literally hundreds of pages that I just know are bad or that I know, some of them are even great, some of them I even really enjoy, but I just know it would never fit into a movie. Mm. They're just like, you know, like these random stories of their childhood or whatever, you know, that has nothing to do with like the timeline. But it's just like it was one of those things. It's one of those things where you reach this point like, well, what would they say in this situation? They're like, well, I wonder what their childhood was like. And I'm like, well, never mind. Just turn the page and we'll just write a scene of their childhood Mm. and what people were in there and what it was like, you know. And then I know about that. And then I can then write more realistic situations and more realistic dialogue, I think, because I kind of written out the backstory and kind of filled that in so then it's not just cardboard cutout characters at least that's the idea oh so, okay yeah. that's really good advice yeah character forward mm-hmm. I dig it well that's time man okay is that it 
Yeah. Did you hear the did you hear the glass? Yeah, we got it there in the end. This we're is just some water. Drinking some ice water. Ice water. It's Monday. That's when we're recording this. Okay. And then so we're releasing it when? Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yeah. So what day would that be? Tuesday. Cool. Yeah. All right. I was just saying it's Monday, so it's not a drink, an alcoholic drink with ice in it. Oh. Right? Some people drink on Mondays. Do they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I drank last Monday. It was a holiday, though. <laughs> Some, sometimes you got to drink on Monday. <laughs> sometimes it just came too fast. The weekend was too long. Yeah. All righty. Well, thanks for coming on, Elliot. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Treasure Valley Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like it and to share it verbally with a friend or a family member. Tell them, text them about it because podcasts are spread by word of mouth. Word of mouth.